right, welcome back to Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks, the cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor-customer divide. And this week, George and I, we got a lot of shit to get off our chest. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Why don't we start with sales shenanigans, and then we'll get into some of the big industry stuff. So I want to take this opportunity to register my extreme displeasure with the Forbes article of the 50 top cyber secure companies list. I don't know what the hell that is, but it is a, it's a cascading set of failures is what it is. Um, I don't, I want the CISO perspective because I got a marketing perspective, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me uh, from either point of view. I'm, I'm, fuck, I was like the rest of the industry, man. When I saw it, I was like, um, okay, so everyone on this list just took a big fuck off target and painted it on themselves. Yeah, free pen testing. <laughs> just told everyone, like, come at me, bros. All you <laughs> quote unquote, quote unquote, offensive security researchers, come at me. <laughs> so yeah, like, that's the first fucking thing. And then the second thing was just like, okay, so is this a pay for play thing or did they just arbitrarily decide to do this because again forbes is expert at a lot of things rating information security capabilities at an organizational level not one of them yeah no yeah i mean this is a podcast and everyone can't see what i just did but it was just like a massive shoulder shrug like wtf i like what <laughs> like realistically realistically if i was a security leader any one of those listed companies I'd be freaking out at my C-suite. I'd be telling comms and legal, hey, can we sue them for this? Did you guys authorize this? Can I take Mm -hmm. a baseball bat to you guys if you did? Like, what the fuck just, (laughs) you just made life worse? Yeah, so like, let's break it down. Cause like the the ratings thing just doesn't make sense on a number of reasons. I have an ideological problem with it because I think as most people would understand, right, it's, cybersecurity is about resilience it's not like this end state like you pass through the golden gates and suddenly you have achieved nirvana you are totally cyber secure right you're like done right and then we have all this shit going on in the industry uh here's how to talk to the board about cyber risk here's how to justify budget we have a lot of work to do educating the rest of the executive leadership teams about the value of cybersecurity to the business. And if you go out and say like, well, you did it, I guess you don't need that budget addition you were asking for. Why do you need new tooling? You're like, you're like number 10 on the list. That's good enough, right? Like that's not going to make it any easier (laughs) to justify spend. Well, it's like anything else, right? Like, and this is just in business itself. Like they're, I'm a really big believer in the Simon Sinek like philosophy of like the infinite game where like Mm -hmm. there is no end game to it. Like you don't just like get a certain benchmark of revenue. Like, okay, cool. We win. We're the best game over. Like, I mean, yeah, you can do it. They can exit if you're a startup, but that's a different thing. It always is a thing that you have to do. It never ends. And like when I talk to other CISOs who are long-term minded people and then I fall into this camp as well, everyone is thinking about succession planning. So like they know that, you know, you're not going to be in a place forever, especially mm-hmm. with the high stress of this job. So it's on you to build succession planning into your overall workflow. Because yeah. if you care about what you're doing, 
you're eventually going to leave. You're going to hand it off to someone else and you want things to get better as you go. That's like the, the legacy of a good CISO. If you are playing this attitude, like I'm just trying to satisfy a board to make my bonus, you're not meant for security. You're, you're meant for yourself. That's you might as well just go into consulting, right? Mm. Take your contracts, take your money, but you're not meant to run a team and help secure an organization. To me, this is an abject failure of um, a philosophical approach to security. And this was clearly mm. written by people who, and it's like one of two things, either it was written by people who are completely ignorant to how security works and like how it, how it needs to be approached to be successful, or it's written by people who know how security works, but they're kind of like the sleazebag profiteering kind of folks who are just like cover your ass and take the profit. And I think, yeah. you know, this seems like more of a, a scorecard based cover your ass type rating system where it's just like, yep, we checked all the boxes off. We're the best. Yeah. I just, you know, and given the Forbes audience again, like other CFOs or CEOs, it's just not really going to help change the narrative around security as a cost center rather than a business enabler. But more to the point from a marketing perspective, you're a CISO, you're the buyer I don't understand the sponsorship with the vendor who sponsored the report because I feel like they just pissed off their entire ICP, right? Like it's like all the buyers were just like angry about this. My LinkedIn feed for Thursday, Friday was just fire. It was just fire. All I can say is this when like, when Jason Chen like comes out of his retirement to talk shit about a thing like like, the the dude who used to be the CISO at Netflix, who's definitely like a a sage master in this game, you know, like I knew at that point I was like, Oh shit, this is bad. And then I read the article and I was like, Oh my God. Like the vendor Mm -hmm. that sponsored that thing, I would never go with them. The only people who I've known who ever seem to work with them are folks who don't really have an in-depth knowledge of operational security and they're mm-hmm. just trying to find the quickest way to show return on investment to someone. And this is this is like, this was honestly written for the perspective of, like you said, CFOs. This is like mm-hmm. people who deal with money, like, oh, hey, security is just a it's, a, it's a line on a budget sheet. And this is like the best return on investment for the budget sheets. But again, it goes back to, I think this was a pay for play thing. I think this was a horribly, horribly manufactured idea and it had to have gone through a lot of steps of ignorance to get to publication. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I did the math and I posted about it, you know, of all the words spilled in the main article and in the follow-up article, only 8% of the total word count, 122 words out of 1367, I want to say, was spent on explaining the methodology, which is squishy math. <laughs> you know, it's like... Nothing to see here. <laughs> Use this ranking methodology. It's totally cool. Yeah, it's um if you fuck, let's just go back to basic academia. If you can't actually explain your research methodology, if you can't explain your null hypothesis, you're gonna fail. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Man. All right. Uh what you got? So what do I got? Um in terms well, of sales gonna... shenanigans. For a time of sales shenanigans, um, I'm not going to name who this vendor was, but recently um, my team got to enjoy one of the biggest car crash catastrophes of a demo call ever. Sweet. 
And I got to be honest with you, it's super, super weird because, you know, it's, a, <laughs> it's an organization that we had a decent relationship with. And, uh, you know, we were seriously considering them to look at a certain type of product to help us solve a problem. And they, I'm not going to say they brought their B team. I'm going to say, like, they brought their, like, brunch team from, like, the old folks' home. <laughs> Right, like who literally are just like working on minimum wage, right? But but I know people that work in res in like retirement residences, and they're way more professional than what showed up. the The fact of the matter is, they were completely unprepared for the demo. It seemed like they were almost disinterested to be there, which I mm. I I don't understand. Like I get it; it was like near near the end of the afternoon, but yeah, but dude, the economy. Don't you want if, sales at this point? <laughs> if there's money on the line, this is one of those confusing things. If there's money on the line, why are you showing up with your pants down? I, I don't <laughs> like it was so bad. It almost hurt my feelings. <laughs> like I I was <laughs> just too a waste of everyone's time. Oh, it was it was terrible, man. And again, it's like I I keep running into these suppliers and these encounters where it's like like in the times where I've worked in sales roles and, and I have, I've talked about it before when I worked in consulting, like I used to get fired up before demo calls for sales calls. I used to, because there's, there's something on the line of you were in sales, there's commission, there's, you know, quota, there's you're in a the bunch game. of stuff. You're in the game. Yeah. Right. If you're a competitor, you're in the game. It's super exciting. It's fun. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but you fucking show up prepared. Right. Yes. You don't go into the ring without the gloves <laughs> and prepared Fuck, to just get punched gloves. in the face bro i'm like fucking jock strap shorts and underwear man what the fuck are we talking about <laughs> like i mean like you gotta show up ready show up I, ready again it's just for for sales teams that are out there look if you guys are having a tough time if you don't have the the correct resources for a demo call like consider this brass tax fucking reschedule the call reschedule the call it is yeah. totally acceptable the day of to be like, hey, some things happened. The folks that we need aren't available today. Can we do this another time? The most you're going to get is like, ah, oh, maybe an eye roll. But they're like, okay, cool. We still want to see the thing. Because there's like yes, a the, lot of stakeholders. Sorry, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, the eye roll is far better than disgust and disappointment. I was just going to say, because usually for those calls, a ton of stakeholders have been informed on the client side mm -hmm. that this thing's going to happen. So you're not just disappointing like the people on the call, which is a huge yeah. problem. You're disappointing everyone else that they either work with or report to. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, I think it was our second or third episode, like that bad meeting, one, obviously not a great impression as a buyer, but it's also going to be in your mind, an impression of how that company is run. So just even from like, you know, supply chain security, you know, like what's going on over there. If you don't have a, a good read on it, then you're like, well, I'm not trusting you with any data. You know? Yeah. And again, like I, from a reputational standpoint, like you can bet any other CISO that I'm close with that I talk to, if they ask me about oh, yeah. this category of thing that they do and sell, I will tell them, Hey, you need to avoid them like the plague. <laughs> and that's how you win the upsell yeah. um yeah okay cool well i wanted to touch on one last thing in sales before we go to industry news which is okay. a brief note on event outreach so 
uh, I think we've talked a lot about it, but it occurred to me when I was listening to Danny and Chris talk uh, earlier this week, Chris was talking about how when he was on the sales side, that's Chris Roberts for everyone who's listening. He used to do the old school thing of when you got the business card, he would write on the back of the business card, like the context, like what did we talk about? Who did, you know, where did we meet? So that he would have that when he did the outreach after the fact. And, you know, this was days before hyper automation of email templates and stuff, but he would still send, you know, roughly the same email, but he enough information to personalize it. So I mentioned that because I think some of that old school muscle memory is missing from today when you go to like an RSA or AWS reinforce or any sort of big event where they're scanning badges and they're just like, I want all the numbers. I'm going to take all those people. I'm going to dump them into this thing and they're all going to get roughly the same message. Thanks for coming by the booth, whatever. But I think if they, if teams just took the time to kind of organize the booth schedule, so they weren't full throttle all the time, but that the people who were frontline could rotate out and kind of get that context and take those notes. There's a way to take notes in badge scanning apps. And it drives me nuts when they're blank because then it's like, what, what do I, what I got to talk about? Like now I got to treat this person who you marked as a quote unquote hot lead. The same as this person is a cold lead. Cause I don't know what the difference is between them. Anyway, that's my piece. No, I, I'd agree with that. Like, look, simple logic. Cause you go to enough of these shows and conventions and stuff, you should definitely have like a rotation where it's like, okay, cool. You're talking to these people and then like, okay, right on your conversation ends. You go to the back. You don't start talking to someone new immediately. You fill yeah. out the form of what the notes are. And then when you're ready, you can join another conversation or start talking to someone else. But like that piece of like taking a couple minutes or a couple seconds, even just to like step back from like the crowd write down what was going on so you remember and then you know it allows you when you do the outreach instead of making it some automated blast you can add a personalized touch regarding the conversation that you had that potential buyer is going to be a lot more impressed and is going to be way more excited to continue the conversation than like i saw a tool i got a cool t-shirt and this nifty little toy fucking fidget spinner <laughs> but uh, i don't really care so i'm not going to yeah. respond yeah. And I, I just think it's because they put three people in the booth and expect them to work like, you know, dawn to dusk. You know, it's just oh, high worse, RPM. Worse than that, at the bigger shows, they're not even putting in employees. They're contracting booth bunnies. No, oh, that's just gross and awful on many levels. But it yeah. is, but it, it's also p really poor planning for the sake of your business. <laughs> yes, it's not a sustainable business strategy. On the topic of events, let's go there. You were at an AWS summit, right? Yeah, so I was at the AWS uh, Toronto summit uh, this week. Actually, it's still ongoing it's today, um, but I had to go home and go back to do my real job, unfortunately. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it was cool. We uh, AWS actually talked about their new um, uh, bedrock feature that's essentially going to allow, um, you know, it's gonna allow organizations to, you know, train their own models, right? Mm -hmm. So it's gonna it's gonna create uh, a really cool layering that that's gonna prevent people from having to utilize like the public internet when they're Great. trying to use like AI based or, or use or develop AI based uh, applications. So I mm -hmm. think you know 
when you're looking at API security, when you're looking at some of the new things coming out with, with some of the platforms and you're t- talking about AI enhanced this and machine learning enhanced that, it really all comes down to like, cool, well, where is the LLM located and what is yes. happening with that data? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, like I've talked about this with you before, the only way that you can securely use any kind of like GPT type tool or, or plenty of the other ones that are out as well um, is if you're actually segregating where that machine learning engine is processing its data and where it's housing it, you know, yeah. and they talked about a few different solutions as well. Cause you know, they uh, see here. So they talked about Titan, which is one of their generative AI solutions. Uh, so these are all foundational models. They're talking about, um, Jurassic two. It's like a multilingual large learning model for uh, test generation in different languages, which if you're running an international business is really cool. Yeah. Uh, you're looking at like, Claude, which was by Anthropic. Uh, that's an LLM for conversations, for question and answering, for workflow automation, which is really good if you are in a complex organization that deals with finance or customer payments, mm-hmm. or you're, you're trying to actually train someone up in a new role and you're trying to streamline the process. You can actually use a tool like this to, to self-guide their training process to learn everything you need to do. And then obviously like stability.ai for stable diffusion, which is a really cool like generation of unique, realistic, high quality images, art. It's the thing where like I know you've posted a few of those generative AI like art pictures yeah, and stuff. Yeah. That's kind of the tool that, that comes down to. And they also kind of talked about now that they have um, you know essentially models that can communicate back to you. And it's not just like a text-based response. There's actually like a, a digital like a like a person like an avatar. Mm. And mm. so the avatar that was presented um, on stage was uh, a fellow who was a financial planning advisor. And, you know, the, the facial, <laughs> the facial mm-hmm. movements have to get worked on a little bit. Cause he, at one point, like he asked him a question, he's like, you're not, you can't see me right now on the, on the podcast, but mm-hmm. he was making confused faces, which in a room full yeah. of like hundreds of people was pretty funny. <laughs> but they provided the answer where it's just like, you know, is it, um, let's say I'm a consultant and I want to save on the amount of taxes that I have to pay for my business. Mm-hmm. Right. So then, you know, he actually returned with like different types of incorporation models that can help you actually save taxes and how you would actually pay yourself and, and, and do so in a manner that doesn't have to be declared in certain ways that, that have makes you have to do it at higher rates. Mm-hmm. So, Again, it was really informative. It was cool. I think, you know, I really like the direction things are going in. I think this is going to be something that's really usable soon. Um, you know, like like with Amazon, um, one of the other offerings they have is Titan, which, you know, it, it, it's, it's cool because it's still like Titan text is focused on neuro-linguistic programming tasks, which... Mm-hmm. For folks who are like students of psychology, that's a it's a very um, exceptional way of breaking down how people communicate at a linguistic level. Like when I was learning about NLP, I was I was learning it in psych on like influence theory and like sports psychology, mm-hmm. and like how to communicate yeah, yeah. with people, right? But now you know you can embed this into certain types of like enterprise tasks in your workflow, and then it like communicates with your staff or with your customers. So I, I, you know, I didn't have enough time. There's not enough time in a one hour like lecture yeah. or whatever yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to break down the potentials of this. But I think 
really, I walked away from it thinking that we are only scratching the surface of the secure business applications that we can use this technology for. And man, I am just like, I'm a CISO. I'm terrified of getting compromised by the use of any of these tools, but I'm ridiculous. Like me as a, as a technologist, me as just some nerdy kid who was a basement dweller who, you know, security (laughs) analyst and I'm in this role now. Um, I'm fucking excited for the future, dude. There's going to be some cool shit coming in the years ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that Amazon came out sort of the same time as Salesforce this week, which unveiled their enterprise AI cloud architecture. I, I'm not sure that it's so differentiated that existing Salesforce customers will upsell, but it's the direction they're going in, which is basically one attaching GPT to everything, right? It's like Tableau GPT, Slack GPT. And this is a way to just put natural language interfaces on everything. So people don't have to write commands or build uh, coded automation uh, workflows. That's cool. But what really caught my eye was the trust layer that they put in. And it was pretty clear in their architecture about how they were going to keep the data inside the existing trust boundary that Salesforce has always operated in, right? They can do predictive analysis on your customer data without sort of siphoning it into their servers. Um, And uh, I think, I thought that was really cool. I think that trust and transparency is the differentiator when you talk about the enterprise, just like you were saying. And I think, you know, you shouldn't trust just an architecture diagram. I think we're going to see teams, uh, whether they're teams of your size or others, they're going to start being inundated with these tools and these features. And we are all going to have to get smarter about the questions we really ask to get at those answers that we need. Like how, you know, they show in the diagram that the data is masked before it interacts with the LLM. I want to know how that works. You know, you just have to really push the boundaries of those questions. So you get what you need to feel secure because you can't just be like, it's magic. And it, just touches your data lightly. <laughs> yeah, I, I got one of the vendors. There's a bunch of vendors now pushing AI-enabled stuff. One of the security vendors was talking about um, how their tool will automatically um, obfuscate the sensitive information on an input. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how? Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, yeah. it detects it and knows. I'm like, but how does it know? Like, you, you didn't answer my question. You, you just e- said. <laughs> like, I was like, okay, cool. I don't want to continue this game, but. Thank you for the show. There's yeah. another one. I, it's like I, because I ingested the social security number and then I knew how to obfuscate. <laughs> I knew it was a social security number because I said so. Yeah. But there's another one too. Like I'm not I'm not going to name the, the vendor, but they had this other thing. It's like a SaaS observability tool. And so this thing is like, it's an infrastructure management tool. But at one point he looks at me and I, I asked the question, I was like, hey, so like for log telemetry, this thing can like plug into Splunk, right? And he looks at me, he's like, this can replace Splunk and it's only one fifth the price. And I was like, you're really excited about this, but that is one of the most bullshit statements I've ever heard. I could be wrong. I could be, maybe mm. I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the sales dude was right, but he really, he really, he really, <laughs> really believed it. And so I'm looking at this and I'm just like, Okay, one, I think this is crazy. Like I we're 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 talking about two, three hundred thousand dollar a year tool, and this dude's talking about something that's like, mm-hmm. you know, fucking forty to sixty thousand dollars and it's gonna replace that and help manage the infrastructure. But mm-hmm. again, this is a brand new offering. I'd never seen them before. This is my first time seeing them there. 
there might be a slight possibility that he could be correct. And maybe like the rest of industry just hasn't caught on yet because it's a you know relatively new company. This might end up being the future, right? So I am doubtful about it, but there's this part of me deep down inside that's just mm-hmm. like, wait, what if he's right, dude? What if what yeah. if the old school skeptical but also hope yeah this brings up a good point so i and i love that we have these conversations because i get to ask a CISO. so what is your vibe or your sense of where your peers are at in terms of their understanding of these technologies i mean i ask because i know there's this common conception that everyone's got to stay on the cutting edge but also the reality of CISO life is that you're also in like you know executive leadership meetings, which are about business revenues to build, you know, like there's a lot to take in, in your normal job responsibility to like, to say nothing of like trying to dedicate time to like read up and understand these new architectures and capabilities. In my experience and in dealing with all the CISOs that I've known and, I, and I've dealt with in the last little while, the ones that are actually operators at their core, at their core, like at their heart, or the ones that are mm-hmm. like gray hatters or like, you know, CH kind of guys, mm-hmm. or, you know, the ones who just genuinely like and love technology and they're just interested in it and it's what they like doing in their off time. Those are the ones that seem to be the most informed about what to do with all this new technology and what its implications are. The ones who live and die off of what Gartner's tells them or whatever business blog they listen to. <laughs> they really, I think, are just looking for that one or two line soundbite that they can use to sound smart if anyone brings it up. But I don't think they really know what's going on. And, you know, like I, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. I totally get it. It's a fucking CISO. It's a busy life. It's stressful. You have a million problems at any given time. But at the end of the day, like, I think this is what's going to differentiate, like, the real, like, bona fide leaders in this space from the ones who are there filling a role and, and helping a business do their thing from a business level. Yeah. Well, and on the vendor side, I would say, you know, y'all don't get trapped in the feature tour. Like you got to really be able to answer the questions and you got to be able to the questions and the way it impacts business efficiency workflow, the, just the operator life. Like how is their life going to change? with these tools, because I think process is like a really big part that's not being talked about. If you can suddenly automate and interact with your tooling in a completely different way. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's yeah, a great I agree point. With that. Like when, and I remember salespeople who know their tools cause they use their tools and, and they understand, or they understand the value and the challenges from a customer perspective. Those are the ones that you, you love talking to because it's like, okay, we can have a real conversation about your solution and about how it could help me. The ones who are just like, they take their script and they memorize it and they know how to upsell. I don't think those folks are Mm going to be successful for a lot longer. Cool. Well, I think that's all the time we have for this week. Um, Y'all stay tuned. Uh, This week we are going to do another swag giveaway. So stay tuned for that. But uh, for now, it is over and out from the Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks team. We'll see you soon. Take care, friends.